and welcome to episode 17 of the Pi Podcast, the show by members of the Raspberry Pi community for the Raspberry Pi community. I'm Joe. I'm Isaac. And I'm Albert. And coming up, we'll be speaking to Liz Upton of the Raspberry Pi Foundation. But before that, let's cover a bit of news. And first up in news, um, it was announced uh, the new Robot Wars is coming back. So Robot Wars, the program in the UK where people had battling robots, basically. And uh, Dr. Lucy Rogers, who we interviewed on episode 10, is going to be one of the judges. So that's very exciting. Yep. Uh, congratulations to her. That is uh, outstanding. I-, I love that show we used to uh, when it came on back in the day. And I'm just, I-, I don't know what to say. It's really congratulations. That's all I can say, really. Yeah, it's really great news. And it's I think it's great news for the Pi because I reckon a lot of those robots are going to be powered by the Pi. You know, uh, it remains to be seen when it actually comes on the TV, but I'd be very surprised if there weren't any Pies involved. No, I, I only say that because in the past they had buzzsaws and things. I just don't see my Pi powering a buzzsaw worthy of that. But you never know. You never know. Yeah. Uh, you never know because they do need something to control it. They need some sort of computer and the Pi is absolutely ideal for that. So yeah, let's wait and see on that one. It'll be the Raspberry Pi 4 with a gas power motor. So, <laughs> uh, Also in the news, it looks like we there was a birthday party. Uh, Albert, did you get to attend this, I believe? I did. I got up there on the Saturday. It was fantastic. It was really good. Um, there were, well, it was, let's just say it was very, very busy. Um, a lot of the suppliers who... Um, Sell the supporting parts were there, which is great. There was little uh, robot battles going on, little A6 robots. There was a giant um, NeoPixel game done for uh, Space Invaders. And there's a whole load of other things that were there. And I got a real chance to meet up with a lot of people that I knew only from Twitter. So it was it was really good. And we linked to uh, the official write-up and a, a few other write-ups as well. Did you get to go to this last year? And if so, how does it compare to the number of people and, I guess, sponsors and events that were going this year? No, I didn't get to go to it last year. This is the first one I've gotten to, and it, it 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 was big. It was big. There was, I think, it was two rooms for talks, and there was another two rooms for workshops, and there was a quiet networking area, and then there was a whole area set out for um, sellers and projects. So there's a lot of a lot of fun things going on the whole time. Yeah, well, hopefully I can go to the next one. Uh, it's a real shame that I didn't manage it this year. And one of the things that I saw at uh, the party was Minecraft running over VNC. So I, I kept passing the real VNC stand and, you know, it was there. It had stuff going, big screens, all that kind of fun stuff. And I took no notice of it until fairly much the end of the day when I was doing my final sweep going, have I missed anything? And then I went, wait a sec, that's Minecraft running over VNC, which up until now has been impossible because Minecraft effectively does a screen overlay right directly to the frame buffer. So it doesn't use X, which means there's nothing for VNC to send across. And I think because another layer of the video drivers have been made open source, the real VNC guys have been able to tap into that and get it working. Um, how big of a deal do you think this is, Albert? You said you noticed this is quite the, the big peak of interest. This is going to be massive. Um, if you think about um, schools, a lot of schools already have a computer room. So they have a room full of computers. Everything is great, brilliant, fantastic. You stick a Raspberry Pi in there. And um, yes, you can connect over SSH or VNC if you wish, but you couldn't do Minecraft coding because you just couldn't get it on the screen. So with this, for jams, where again, you can connect in remotely or for a school environment, if you want to use 
uh, Minecraft on the Raspberry Pi, this will make a massive difference because you can have the Pi next to you, just connect to it over the network and you, you can code directly. You don't need another screen, another HDMI connection. You know, all of that disappears. You fix your, your IP address and all of your Pis. You just tell the students connect to that one and you're in. You've got everything. You've got full access and you can do all the Minecraft stuff as well. That sounds excellent. So we've talked about the Magpie before, which is a great magazine that's free and covers all sorts of uh, topics about the Raspberry Pi. And now they've produced a book that is dedicated to Sonic Pi. Yeah, again, this is this is fantastic. Son- Sonic Pi, I've played with it. I've made it go beep and I've had some fun with it. <laughs> but uh, much more than that, it, it's the whole live coding thing I just find amazing. And again, Sam Aaron at the Pi party, uh, in the after party, after the main event on the Saturday, he was, uh, he was basically the act doing full on live coding while we were there. And it was brilliant. It was, I mean, it, it astounds me what you can do with 30 lines of code that you just modify live. And this is what this goes into. It goes into full detail on how to do this. So it's a, it's now on my list of things that I must go through to uh, to understand how to use Sonic Pi correctly. Yeah, the book is entitled Code Music with Sonic Pi. And like we mentioned, it's, it's written by Sam Aaron. We interviewed him on episode eight. Uh, if you really like this book or like Sonic Pi, highly encourage you to check out our interview with him because he is quite a remarkable individual in the uh, Raspberry Pi uh, field. The book, I think it covers things like build your own drum beats, compose your own melodies, and also, like we just mentioned, more stuff with Minecraft, which is just keeps going on and on. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You can find the book on the Magpie Android app or the iOS app, and equally, you can download for free as a PDF. So just uh, check it out, because like Albert, I agree. I've, I've tried Sonic Pie, can't do much with it, and I think finally now I'll be able to do some stuff with it. Yeah, and you can actually get these Essentials books in hard copy as print books as well. So if you search online, you'll be able to find the retailers that are doing those as well. So we recently received an email from Dave Johnson, who is one of our listeners, who asked us to take a look over a guide that he created for installing Node.js. Now, I went over his guide, and I have to say that it's very thorough and really, really good. Uh, I used this the other day to install Node.js on my Raspberry Pi 3. Uh, his guide is more than just installing Node.js. In the first parts, he goes through the steps of how to write a Raspbian image to a micro SD card, how to configure Raspbian and the Wi-Fi if you're using a Pi 3, and also how to configure remote desktop if that's something you need to do. And then the final parts of his guide, he talks about installing Node.js. I myself had no problems installing Node.js. I plan to use Dave's guides again in the future since at the end of it, he talks about le- leveraging npm which is the node package manager i just want to say thank you to dave johnson for taking the time to put that together and to also email us you know for heads up to check it out and try and use it and if any of our listeners out there have a project or a guide that they want someone to look over or proofread it or give it a go please send us an email because we're all about the raspberry pi community here at the pi podcast so please take us up on the offer this is where i'm going to show my complete ignorance what do you use node.js for it is JavaScript on the server side. That is, in a nutshell, what it is. So if you need to set up a web server, you can use uh, Node.js. It'll take about four lines of code, and you'll have a web server up and running. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yep. Most of the uh, JavaScript stuff is all client side, and uh, this is uh, JavaScript on the server side. And using Node with any of the other group out there, Angular and the bunch, you can have a, a entire J- uh, JS stack from A to Z that will run your 
everything for your uh, web page or web server or whatnot. So I, I like it. It's a it makes it's really powerful, and I'm a big fan of it. And it's not too hard to install, but Dave really broke it down to the bare bones of it, made it super easy, and uh, just made life a lot easier on me. Yeah, this is something that if you want to get into coding. Uh, on a kind of professional level, it's a really good area to get into, isn't it? Uh, frameworks like Node.js. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right, Joe. Node is one of those things that's kind of taking off. It's really brought JavaScript to the forefront since, like I said before, it's always been on the client side and kind of a, I won't say like a kiddie language, but that's how it always was viewed. But things such as Node, uh, it has its own package manager, which is NPM, uh, Angular, React. I mean, the list goes on and on. And that's kind of brought JavaScript to like the forefront of like languages to be really considered and rethought. And that one of the things I love about doing my Pi is experimental dev work and Node is one of those things I always love goofing around with. And sometimes it's not that easy to install. Sometimes it is. Dave just broke it down. So it's super easy now. So recently it was International Women's Day. And to celebrate that, the Raspberry Pi blog posted about six women doing excellent things with the Raspberry Pi. And looking down this list, I recognize one or two of them. Yeah, Kat Laman is the first picture that pops up. It, it looks like it's her talk at um, BET, which was great. Yeah, and Dr. Lucy Rogers, who we've mentioned before, she just seems to be everywhere, doesn't she? <laughs> it's, it's that robot wars, you know. And she yeah. was also at the, uh, the launch party for the Raspberry Pi 3, talking about the, the, uh, the dinosaurs as well. So she was at, a, oh, I can't remember, was it RS's launch? I think it was. She was at that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. And Yasmin Bey as well, who's uh, very famous and going to be even more famous, I think. She's only 15, but she's a brilliant programmer and loads of other stuff as well. So, yeah, she's certainly one to watch. But, yeah, all six of them are doing great stuff. So, yes, well worth checking out that blog post. Definitely. And if you're interested in what Kat uh, Laman is up to, then uh, we interviewed her on episode three. Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So that'll do it for the news. Let's move on to the interview. And just bear in mind that we recorded this while we were up at Pi Towers, Albert and I, and it was recorded in an office rather than a studio, so there's a little bit of background noise. I'm delighted to say that we're here in person in Cambridge with Liz Upton, who is the Director of Communications for the Raspberry Pi Foundation. So thanks for having us. Oh, thanks for coming. So... We thought we'd ask you a little bit about yourself. Um, everyone knows pretty much that you're famous for your role at the Raspberry Pi Foundation, but what were you doing before that? Wow. God, it's like another lifetime. <laughs> uh, so before Raspberry Pi started up, um, I was working as a freelance journalist. Um, I used to work in food and in cosmetics. Um, so I, was, um, I, I wrote much of a book, for, most of a book for um, National Geographic, I used to do freelance editing for um, for Penguin, and I was also doing quite a lot of um, online writing for journals and that sort of thing. How do you end up being a freelance journalist for food and cosmetics? It doesn't sound like those two industries would have a lot in common with each other. Well, um, so backing up a bit, um, I started my career in music journalism. My first job out of university was um, uh, assistant editor for a stable of music magazines, classical music magazines in London. And um, after a couple of years there, um, Evan and I got engaged and we moved to Paris because he was doing part of his PhD there. So I obviously couldn't keep working for them um, and I couldn't find a job that would just last six months in Paris because that was how long we'd be there for. So um, I started freelancing then and that was mostly music. But um, when we came back, we moved to Cambridge to live and I found a job at an educational publisher who worked in adult basic skills 
Um, so very, very, very straightforward stuff. Um, teaching adults with low literacy and low numeracy how, how, how to read and write and how to do basic arithmetic. And after a good long while there, I thought, yeah, this isn't really firing me up. I wasn't... <laughs> it was a, it, I mean, it was, it was a very jolly job, but it wasn't what I wanted to be writing about for the rest of my life. So I started a food blog. This is when everybody and his mother did not have a food blog. <laughs> um, so worked on that for a few years, and I started getting commissions through that. And separately, um, I'd always been very interested in perfume, as you are. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I'd, I'd been commenting quite a lot on a um, on a fragrance forum, and they asked me if I'd um, if I'd start writing for them as well. So I did that. I then um, that same year I won the Jasmine Award, which is um, the biggest award in fragrance writing um, for an article I wrote for them, a company called Base Notes. And yeah, it kind of went from there. I used to do copywriting for um, cosmetics firms, so it's advertising stuff and the nice little leaflets you get explaining that your perfume is both fruity and flowery. <laughs> Fantastic. So it went from music to food to cosmetics. Well, the food and the cosmetics was sort of all at the same time. I was doing quite a lot of work on, on, on books. I got a lot of editorial work as well um, with the food stuff. And so once there was enough work, I, um, I ditched the day job and um, freelanced. It's a great thing to be able to do. It was. It was lovely. And then Raspberry Pi happened. <laughs> yeah. And looking at your blog from back then, you said that I'll be off doing this for a little bit and I'll be back. Don't worry. But that kind of hasn't happened, has it? Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I kind of find I found I really, really liked it here. <laughs> it's um, Raspberry Pi was um, it got a lot bigger, a lot faster than we thought it was going to. And honestly, it's the most interesting thing I've I've ever done. Um I dropped all of my freelance work and the blog on the floor um, in about 2011, I guess, um, to set up the website here to start organising the press um, that we were doing and um, also to build up the community because um, I felt very strongly because I'd, I'd done a lot of work online with the fragrance stuff and with my former blog. Um, it's very, very clear that if you're going to make something work, it needs to have interest from the people who are buying it, not just from people in the press, but from the people who are actually using it. So a lot of the initial work was getting that blog going, making the forums go, just winding up interest. And it's it, it's great. It's extremely interesting. big part of my job now is um, still running the social media here. So I still look after the blog. Um, I'm usually the person who authors it. Generally, if I'm out of the country or away from meetings, um, one of the team here will look after the blog post for that day, but mostly that's me. Um, I look after Twitter, and I also have um, a few people here working on social media who work for me. Um, yeah, it's I mean it, it, it's a very important part of what we do. Yeah, I mean I I think it's really key because way back in the day when before there was even a Raspberry Pi out, um, I heard that it was like you know sixty thousand people watched the the BBC video on it, yeah. so it's like okay, um, this is real, we have no choice but to do it right. That was actually the point at which, um, that, that that day when that video got all of those views, um, that, that was the day I, I, I dropped everything. Um, Evan and I were, I, I know he tells this story in interviews, and it's, it's precisely what happened, we were having dinner that evening, and going, hey, this is great, yeah, all of these people have looked at this video, oh my God, what are we going to do now? Because yeah, you've promised 16,000 people you're going to do a thing, you Kind of better do it. So we did. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of going back before that, um, 
you know, I heard the conversations, credit card size computer, cheap, cost of a textbook. I always have this feeling that that was a bunch of people in a pub is where it started. Because that just sounds like the kind of conversation I'd have had with friends way back in the day. Where it's exactly. like, oh, wouldn't it be great yeah. if this existed? And then we'd get drunk and go home. But you actually did it. So yeah. how how did the team have the drive to actually do it? Well, it was chatting in the pub um, with a bunch of the, our, our, our original trustees and um, also with some friends from the computer lab here in Cambridge. And um, the chatting started after Eben had already made a prototype. I don't know if you've seen it. It's um, it, it sort of travels the world going on display in museums now, which is really, really weird because it's a thing that just sort of sat in the corner of our coffee table for a very long time. But, um, it's just an app mill on a piece of breadboard doing... Really, very little. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we 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 had something, and um, also uh, around then, a friend of ours died. Um, he was only twenty-seven. Um, very, very good friend. One, one, really, one of the smartest guys I've ever known. He was one of the guys who set up my society, and um, you know those those petitions that you can write to government to um, yeah. ask yeah, yeah. Tony Blair to have a bath in baked beans, that sort of thing. Um, he he set those up as well, and um, he was very, very depressed and um, killed himself when he was 27. And around the same time, we were looking at this and we were thinking, oh, Jesus, you, you can, you know, it, it, it can just stop. You, 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 we, we, we have to actually keep doing these things we're trying to do or else what's the point? I miss him very much, actually. I'd have loved to have him working on this. He was, he, he'd, have, he'd have been a real pain in the arse, but he'd have loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Genius and excitement and craziness all in one go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> very good. So you then decided to do it, figured out that, because the first one looked more like a, a pen drive type thing. That I yeah, that picture. was actually a um, a prototype that um, some of the guys at Broadcom worked on um, with a wee camera yeah. on it. Um, and the big problem with that was that it only had a couple of USB a couple of USB ports, so there actually wasn't that much you could do with it. Um, we wanted the flexibility you can get from all that I/O that we have, um, which really comes from Pete Lomas. Um, He's one of our trustees. He did the um, the board design for the the original Raspberry Pi, um, and and he was you know, adamant that kids want to do physical computing. That's how you make it interesting. And we thought about it for five minutes, and yeah, he was right. <laughs> so recently, the this you mentioned the kids there, the education side of things is just been absolutely booming. But early on, it was a lot of tinkerers, kind of middle aged blokes at it. Was that something you were expecting? Yeah, it was. Um, I don't think that you can. You can't force a thing into a culture. We were very aware that the people who were going to be buying it, and to be honest, the people I was really looking at targeting at at the beginning were going to be enthusiast fans of, of computing, fans of electronics. And we're also very aware that those people have kids and they have families. And a lot of them are teachers, actually. Um, so for maybe the first year or so, I think the audience was predominantly older people. It's really, really turned on its head now. And it's great to see so many schools. We've um, we've just launched Pi Academy in the USA, and the um, it's running up in California. And the 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 applications for that came from all over America. There were I mean we 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 really haven't had that many I think for a for a single event that we've run before. And um, the enthusiasm was just just incredible. It's really lovely to see. And presumably you're looking to expand that across America in the long term. Then yeah. Yeah, it's a shame because we, we do get a lot of people saying, well, yeah, you should be doing it faster. I'm, I, I, I live in somewhere that's not a major city and you haven't come here yet. 
and we really really are trying but we're a small team we're a charity we don't make very much on selling a raspberry pi but that's how we raise funds and we like to keep it cheap because access is also very important to us so you know the pool of money isn't unlimited the pool of people and the pool of time isn't unlimited but we're doing the very very best we can with that and we are looking at expanding the team out in the united states at the moment um i've got a call with a lady this evening um and uh, yeah right now all of our educators are on a plane on the way to california so no i mean that, that that's fantastic because to begin with as you said it was all people like me people who wanted to play and needed, Lovely a, people. needed a new yeah. t- th- I'll take that personally <laughs> and say thank you very much um, but I did see very early on there were just some kids sort of popping up who were doing amazing things you're kind of going where where have these people been and it, it felt like it was the perfect moment because in the UK the government were reviewing the computing curriculum the code club crowd were getting going then you turned up, people started seeing the Arduinos as being a thing to use. So it seemed like the moment was right for it to happen. And some of those kids who that popped up right at the beginning, um, you know, Matt Timmons Brown, who's um, the Raspberry Pi guy, I'm sure you guys know him. Um, you know, he's, I think he was 13 when we started and he started making tutorial videos then. He's now a sixth former and honestly the stuff he's producing is just phenomenal really phenomenal. I'm actually putting some of his stuff on the website on Monday, all being well. Um, and you've got, you've got Ryan Wormsley, who was also 13, I think, at the time. He made the Rastrack map, and now he's got a business um, making add-ons, selling Raspberry Pis, all that good stuff. Liam Fraser, who was another very early starter, he was about 15. Um, he was doing tutorial videos as well. He's now actually working for the company that um, are our web hosts. And um, it, it's, it, it's lovely seeing these young people come through and enjoy what they're doing and every year there's a new batch and I love them to bits they're, they're, they're so nice to work with well, it, it is great because I think having peers makes a big difference it's, yeah. you know it's a, I mean I have three girls and we have a Raspberry set up and mainly they play with Minecraft on it mm-hmm. so my two eldest who are nine and nearly eight um, they've spent the last week building a school so oh, wow. they've literally created the classrooms, the outdoor play area, the corridors, the staff room. And my older sister is the principal and my, uh, my older daughter, sorry. And, and her sister is the, um, the, the lead educator. Oh. So th- there's obviously no students, but they, they built it and now they're playing in it. Um, and I mean, even just that, even mm-hmm. just seeing that that's possible, they're not programming. But they are learning because they're building it and figuring well, it out. Two of the um, the EU Digital Girl of the Year, um, Digital Girls, two of, the, well, two of the people who won that annual yeah. award, um, are, are you know, big Raspberry Pi users. There's um, Amy Mather, who won it a couple of years ago. And then yes, this year, Yasmin Bey, who is wonderful. I do love Yasmin. Um, um, won it as well. She's doing really incredible things down in South End. She's doing a lot of teaching. She's a, a, a really great little roboticist as well. She's a lovely kid. Yeah, she's. Um, I've seen some of her tweets, messages. She's bringing one a uh, robot, I think, for the Pi Noon Mini Micro Pi Noon yeah. thing that's being run as well. So the competition. So that should be good fun. I think actually, I think she won the um, the, the the smallest robot at um, at Pi Wars last year as well. Very excellent. Very excellent. So going back to you and yourself, when when this kicked off, 60,000 people watched a video. You dropped everything you were doing already. Um, you knew there was going to be a, a, a blog and a Twitter account. Um, 
what were the things you decided to do first? God, I, it, it feels like a, it, it really does feel like another lifetime ago. We've done so much since then. It's actually quite hard to sort of put things together in, in date order. Um, first thing was the blog. Um, I, I, I really think it's very, very important that you've got some piece of news every day that you can you get people to attach to. And it also meant that you know the whole thing had a personality. We were getting so many comments on the blog, it then very soon became obvious that we needed a forum as well. Which um, actually, there's, there's quite a lot of heavy lifting involved there. We have, well, um, I know you, you, you help us out because you um, moderate our Google Plus, don't you? A little bit, yeah. A little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've got I think eight hundred thousand users on the um, on the forums. Is that right? That sounds like an awfully big number. That that sounds about right. I think. I yeah. think it's very active. Yeah, but um, it, it also means that the um, the moderation load on there is 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 huge. So it's several hours a day for me still, and yeah, I've got quite a big team of volunteer moderators there, and some people here who look after it. Yeah, I mean, just from helping out a little bit with Google Plus, the thing that I'm personally very aware of is this has to be child friendly. Yeah. So even if what people are saying is valid and appropriate the way it's being said can cause a problem as well oh, which yes. is it's very very difficult because i think people find it um forum, forum members this is for you <laughs> but, um, i think people do find it difficult to remember that sometimes when somebody comes along and um appears to be not thinking very hard um it could well be because they're 10 years old and People can. Uh, we 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 have to be very very careful with um, reactions to first posts because sometimes people can be really quite belittling and um, we we tend to stamp on that quite hard. Yeah, I mean, I found that when I when I started first because I knew nothing. I just found the the forum to be a great place to go because it is just full of hugely crazily knowledgeable people. Yeah, and where... I swear, if there's any project you want to do with Raspberry Pi, you can find out how to do it there. So you did the blog, post every day. Um, the forum. And at the same time, I was rolling up press. Um, so having a background as a journalist, I'd been the, um, what's the right word, the victim, I suppose, of a, a lot of PR people. <laughs> um, and I had quite a lot of ideas about how to do it better. Um, you know, I'd been working with those people for years, and there are you know, things like the, the standard press release. I don't know a single journalist who responds to a standard press release. I mean, the, the, you, you, I, I get them here, actually, and you... You look at them briefly and go, yeah, yeah, that's interesting, and then then ignore them. So what we tend to do is to have um, relationships that we, we we strike up with individual journalists, and we have actual conversations with them rather than sending them press releases. I think that's um, it's not exactly revolutionary, but it's a much better way of doing things. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we were working on just sort of keeping the press interest bubbling under um, and, until the big launch, so that we people knew it was coming and had context. And then you had, was it two on eBay and then 10,000 on the 29th of That's February? That's right, yeah. And the two on eBay, where, where did they end up? Um, one ended up in the museum. I think it was more than two, actually. It might have been, I want to say ten. ten. Like Could I say, this ten. all seems a very long time ago. But yeah, at least one of them ended up in a museum. Very cool. It was actually bought for a museum. And um, some of the others were bought by fans um, and a couple by institutions as well. Which was, you know, fantastic. We were, um, right then we were really struggling for money. Um, because we hadn't sold anything. We didn't want to put things on pre-sale because we didn't want to be hostages to fortune. I don't want mm. to be, you know, taking somebody's money and then saying, well, I'm really sorry. I can't give you a thing for mm. 10 months. So, um, that eBay auction was part of funding that. I didn't take a salary for the first 
God, about 18 months. Wow. Um, and um, we, we, we also, um, everybody, uh, all of the trustees, um, put up some collateral to get the first bunch of pies made. Um, oh. After that, of course, the relationship with RS and Farmel came in, so they were able to put up the capital for the, for the manufacturer, but getting it off the ground was hard. And I'm, I'm still really proud, actually, that we didn't take any finance. You know, we, we, we've never had to take any, um, any VC. So it's quite clear that you've got a, a very clear short-term plan. Do you have a medium and long-term plan, or is it kind of playing it by ear at this stage? Um, what do you mean for the... Um... Well, for the foundation generally. And... Oh, God, no. We have a very, very, very long-term plan. We have a um, a, a, a lovely strategy document, which I think um, we're, we're working on a, a website redesign at the moment, so you'll be able to see that then. But, um, yeah, we, we, we have a long-term strategy. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about that long-term strategy? I think actually the best thing for you to do would be to come in and interview Philip Colligan. Um, he's in the United States at the moment. Um, Philip's, uh, I want to say new, but he's actually been here for getting on for a year now, um, CEO on the on the foundation side. And a lot of the work that he's been doing is on, on building strategy and long-term planning. Obviously, um, I, I, work, um, I work on the trading side. Um, I think you can, it's a bit of a blunt instrument, but you kind of split the organization into two parts. So there's the foundation, which spends the money, is, um, works on all the, tra- all the teacher training, on producing all of the free materials that we make, um, workshopery, that sort of thing. And um, we've got some amazing people on there, some you know, really, really, really high quality people, who some of whom left education, you know, people who were fantastic teachers and um, came here because, in part, they actually reach more kids this way. If you, if, if you write a resource and it's being used in schools all over the world, it's... Um, you're really, really powerful. So, yeah, there's those guys. And then there's trading, which is the bit that makes the money for them to spend. And I'm on the trading side because nominally what I do makes money for the organization. But really, I, I work across the two. So you're, to some extent, the bridge between them because a lot of the blog posts and the, the PI that goes out is what happens in education yeah, as right. well as what happens with... The products and um, I, part of what I do, so as well as the press and the social media, I, um, I run the editorial team and the design team. Um, so we have a number of editors, most of whom actually are um, not based in Cambridge. We've got Lorna, who's over in Wales. Laura is up in Edinburgh, and the Magpie team are in Bournemouth. Um, but they're all working on the stuff that the foundation produces. And um, then we've got the design team, Sam, and we are just about to hire a junior. We did the interviews yesterday, and um, I, I, I think the, the, the person that we're, we're hoping is going to say yes is um, really going to be a good addition. Very excellent. So still still growing, and you can see that in the office here. It, oh, it, it yeah. looks like it's set up for growth. Well, and in the United States as well, actually. We've got um, Matt and Courtney out there, but um, we're, um, again, partway through interviewing for another role out there, and that's that's going to be on the comms team again. So that was really, really early days. It launched. It sold out. <laughs> there yeah. was waiting lists for six, nine months. Oh man, which... that was a headache. I mean, honestly, you think um, so? You, you'd think we'd have learned, really, wouldn't you? With, um... <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to mention the zero too much. But... <laughs> well, the thing is, situation's so much better with the zero. I mean, we've sold. Um, I think I'm not allowed to give you numbers actually, but we have sold an awful, awful, awful lot. But they're just going. Um, that, that sound was me snapping my fingers. Uh, <laughs> <going>. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're flying off the shelves as soon as we put them on there. Um, I think it will even itself out gradually. Of course, this is coming out after the release of Pi 3. One of the things that we haven't been able to talk about for the last few months is that um, 
in order to get Pi 3 made, we've had to take up extra um, extra line room at the factory, and that's bumped some of the zero production. Ah, okay. So people are saying, why aren't you making zeros? Are you idiots? Can't you sit there? And, and we can't tell them why we're not doing it. It's really <laughs> painful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the zero was... To me, it's an intriguing beast. It's the same as the old B plus effectively, but with some of the bits taken off. Yeah. So you've got all the power, mm-hmm. but it's so small. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you've already, we've already seen people put them into, you know, it's, it's a natural for the small robots. Exactly. Yeah. It's a natural for and that environment. as well. I've seen a few because, uh, Pimeroni have their fat display yeah. LED thing so i've seen a few of those as well and it's it's just great because it's so low power and it's so small so again did you expect it to do that when you launched it or was it kind of a surprise we we had a feeling (laughs) (laughs) there's a few fans out there yeah and i I think it's important to um you you do get some people online who are saying well this is ridiculous this doesn't work for education it does work for education um your computing is not the only subject that uses computers um, you get a lot of people using these things in art and design technology. Um, what you're looking at here is a, is a cross-curricular beast. It's a very, very useful tool mm. in all kinds of subjects. And um, one of the reasons we're so big on the high-altitude ballooning, actually, because that, that's a that's a lovely cross-curricular thing. You've got geography and meteorology mm-hmm. and physics and, and and computing and maths. And, and that you've got the the weather station. As well, yeah. That's kind of to the um, I think sending that out next week. Actually, uh, those are. Going out to schools very shortly. It's very exciting. We're looking forward to seeing that happen. So we, we've kind of, it's out there, it's released, it's got natural momentum. Mm-hmm. Or, well, sorry, because of you, <laughs> it's got natural momentum. Um, because realistically, you were the face of the Raspberry Pi for the community. You know, it, it, yeah, every I'm, day I'm the people F5, who tells them off like an angry mother. Yeah, yeah every day <laughs> F5 to see what, what's come out. And I think that, that worked really, really well because I think it kept everybody engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it started to roll. Yeah. So what was the point at which it had natural momentum? Oh, gosh, it's been a really gradual process. Um, we moved into our first offices in 2012. Um, when we started, there were just three of us, I think, yeah. Me and Evan and Gordon. And um, then very shortly after that, Rob Bishop, um, who interned for us for a, a, a long while, came along. Um, and then we took on Emma. Um, she was supposed to be temping, but she was so good that we hired her as our office manager full-time within about a week, and she's still here and she's still fantastic. <laughs> but um, it's really been a, a gradual process, just adding people bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. And now we have a... A really decent size um, engineering team, which is um, that gives us a lot more flexibility. So, what kind of things are the engineering team looking at at the moment? Um, incremental improvements a lot of the time. I mean, there's a lot of software work. We're still abiding by the idea that um, you know it, it, it's lazy to just expect your improvements to come through hardware. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work you can do with optimizing software, and that's a lot of what these guys do. Yeah, I saw uh, during the week a tweet about um, making the analog audio work better, yeah. which you're like, <laughs> it's, there's no new hardware required. Yeah. And I, I, again, kind of saw uh, Scratch yeah. and the work and the development that was that happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you, you might you might be the wrong person, but is there any any work being done on the desktop? On because Wayland was a thing for a while, yeah, and then that's kind of faded away. Yes, it has sadly. Um, 
I'm probably not the person to talk about it. That's a, um, I mean, Simon is working on it, but I, I would suggest you have a chat with Evan about it because he'll be okay. able to fill you in with what's going on. It, 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 it's good stuff. I mean, um, we, it, it really is good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I took the, ori- the oldest image available on the site and I took the latest image available. God, it's and shocking, the, isn't it, the, the difference? The difference is yeah. just, just software, yep. same hardware. Mm-hmm. The difference is absolutely huge. Uh, if, if anybody wants to feel the pain, go download the original image and experience that and say that's where everybody started. So you're, we've got to now, everything is running. It sounds like at 27 million thousand miles an hour every day. You've already mentioned that by the time this comes out, the Raspberry Pi 3 will be out. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your, what's your focus for now? Um, it's my 40th birthday, so I'm taking two weeks off and going to Japan. <laughs> Happy birthday! <laughs> so, uh, that, that's going to be straight after the um, straight after the fourth birthday party. I'm, I'm I'm going offline for two weeks, and it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> the world will fall apart. Yeah. <laughs> but when you get back, it's presumably just sorting out the supply and meeting this huge demand that there's going to be. I mean, it just inevitably there's going to be a huge demand for the Pi Three. I hope so. Yeah. Um, and but but you know we 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 we've done this before, and the um, uh, especially with the mainline pies, it's a much easier problem for us to square. So, um, yeah, that, 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 that should be fine. She says, famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> and is it, again, fairly much all been manufactured out of uh, Pencoid and Wales? Yes, yes, that's right. Um, Farnell do make a few in China, but they're for the Asian market. I think some of those escape into the USA sometimes when they have, short- when, when they have shortages. But um, all of the RS pies are, are made in Pencoid, and the vast majority of the Farnell pies are made in, in Pencoid as well. So, Raspberry Pi 3? Mm-hmm. It's going to keep you busy for the next while. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, we usually end with, uh, how would people find you? But I think that's, you're yeah, the I, easiest I, I, person I, I, to find. I think so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's been absolutely great talking to you and, um, and coming up here. And thank you so much for inviting us. It's been really great. Oh, to thanks for coming. So that's another great interview you guys had. It sounds like y'all just had uh, quite the time. Got to interview Evan and Liz. What, did, what was y'all's takeaway from both interviews, guys? I mean, my, my main takeaway was that they are fantastically passionate about what they're doing and making a difference to uh, computing in schools and education. Uh, the Code Club people were there as well. So, you know, they're, they're really integrated and working on that agenda. And I just got the feeling that, you know, things have moved on now. They're, they're a bit of a bigger team and they've, they're now starting to focus on the education remit more so than the hardware which is going to be amazing to see this year. Yeah, that was my real takeaway from it, that although to me it's all been about us tinkerers so far in in the past four years, but now they've really ramped up the educational aspect of it and they're really pushing for that in schools and with things like Code Club. So they're, you know, they're not abandoning the tinkerers by any stretch of the imagination, but the, the focus is, has really shifted and it's almost a laser focus now on getting these machines in front of as many kids as possible. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I said at, at the party, the Coco people were there doing all of their sessions. They had a lot of um, talks and workshops on the use of the Raspberry Pi and, and just, you know, computing general in, in education. But they also had a session specifically for uh, those of us that were running Raspberry Jams. So again, still in there with the community, still in there with all of that. So I think they get that there's both sides and they need to be treated slightly differently, which is brilliant. And the big thing for me is Liz has been there since the beginning. Um, she is the person who, to be honest, set the tone 
for how the uh, foundation operated. She was the interface. She was the blog post. She was the forum. She was was the voice of the Raspberry Pi Foundation and to a large extent still is. So she's the one who created the community. Um, and as Eben said in his interview, without that community, it wouldn't have worked. You know, and Liz mentioned it as well. It, there was a, a, a target to go after the, the people like us who like to play with these things because with us on board, um, tools and resources and examples and fun projects would be built, which then could be pointed to for education for the kids and go, look, computing isn't all about, you know, back in my day was seating plans for airplanes. It's about making robots. It's about making games. It's, you know, there's a lot more to it. And I think that was, that was very smart of Liz to take that approach. Um, because I think it really has made a difference. Yep, and even in bigger news, Joe and me on other podcasts predicted there'd be Wi-Fi on the Raspberry Pi 3. Woohoo! So, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got that one right. Uh, yep. yep, and I predicted there wouldn't, because why would you need it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you can't win them all. But with that, we're coming to the end of another Pi Podcast. If you want to get in contact, you can email show at thepipodcast.com, find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for joining me, Isaac and Albert, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you again in two weeks with more Raspberry Pi news, interviews, and discussion. Bye, everyone. Take care. See you later.